when you lay down at night, you get everything done, um, you, like Jerry said this week, you did not sit down until your spouse sat down, and you've been working hard, and you finally lay down, you put the kids to bed, which is hard because they're, kids always have to go to bed at night, and that's the time when I'm drained the most. You know, you've spent the most hours awake at night. And so now you're just drained and you've got to put them to bed and they're tired and you're tired and you've got to be the grown-up, which is hard because you'd rather them be the grown-up. And you're exhausted and your head hits the pillow and you think, what do I got to do tomorrow? What's on the to-do list tomorrow? Now, some of you are weirder than that, and that's fine, but most of us lay down and think about what do we got to do tomorrow? I said some of y'all are weirder than that. I probably should have said some of us are weirder than that. I lay down and I'm like, how many times have I seen a cow run? Uh, twice, maybe? Do they do it a lot? I don't know. And then I go to sleep. And Rachel's over there thinking about what she's got to do tomorrow. And what she needs me to do tomorrow. And what, the, what, what, what in the world is required of me tomorrow? What was required of me today that I failed at? What did I not do today that I was hoping to get done today? And how am I going to squeeze that into tomorrow's to-dos? So you're laying there just kind of processing, did I get enough done? And can I get enough done tomorrow? Now, I do this with uh, a little bit with the girls because uh, they, they go to school, it seems, every day. And I'm in charge of breakfast and getting lunches packed and getting them awake. Like, I, I get up, and that's my role. And I got to know whether they're buying or taking their lunch, whether they want a stromboli or a lunchable, which is not even a food. If you just unpack the lunchable and put it in a Ziploc bag, everyone would go, that's not enough meal. But you put it in a cartoon covering, everyone's like, yay! But what, what do they want? I'm in charge of that. So i got to think about, well, are they buying or are they um, bringing? What, where's this? we got to find that. Did I sign the homework? Stuff like that. People do the same sorts of things on their deathbed. Yeah, hard left turn, I know. But they do. And I've seen it over and over again. And they wonder, because they believe that, that this isn't the end, right? They believe that when they die, they're not done. Just like when you sleep, you're not done. But the next day is more consequential than last Thursday. Bless you. The next, although I do think if you sneeze during a prayer or a sermon, it's an automatic God bless you, and it's unnecessary. God's already involved. The, uh, but what... When you're on your deathbed, the next day is heaven. Or not. 
And so there are some very serious questions often asked on deathbeds. Something in your bed at home you don't think about, you will think about in your bed at hospice. And what I hear a lot from people on their deathbed is, did I do enough? Was I good enough? As if enough is some sort of barometer for good and for doing. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be spending some time in, in Micah. Micah chapter 6. We're going to spend time there, and we're going to talk about something, a list of things that, uh, that God says is required of us. But before we do that, I want to I flesh out this idea of required. Because there's a lot of things in Scripture that are required. A lot of things when people say, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And then there's answers. Well, do this, do that. Rich man comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to enter the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus says, what does the law tell you? He says, well, I do this and do that and do this and do that. Jesus said, okay, do those things. And the guy says, I've done all those things. And Jesus said, all right, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you had and have and give it to the poor. Now, under those sorts of standards, most of us will lay on our deathbed and say, I didn't do everything Jesus told everybody to do. If we compare our life to the life of Jesus, we will finish our days as failures. problem is when we when those and, and I've seen it over and over again people not just who have questioned but people who are scared they've claimed Jesus is Lord all their life they have chosen to believe that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah all their life all their life they have given their life to Jesus and the work of the kingdom and lay on the deathbed and be scared to death Because in the end, the problem is their fears are correct. That they're true. They're correct. If you think that what is required of you for salvation is perfection, you have a right on your deathbed to be afraid. You should be. If that's your standard. If you think you are being compared to Jesus, then you have a right to be afraid. But you are not being compared to Jesus. When you enter into the kingdom of God, God, because you are joined with Jesus, doesn't see you, he sees Jesus. It's not because I'm perfect. It's because Jesus is perfect that I find salvation. It's not because I checked off every box. It's because Jesus checked off 
every box that I find salvation. What is required of me is to believe and follow Jesus. Now, at this point, you may say, well, Benjamin, it does say, you know, unless you forgive, you won't be forgiven. Yeah, it does say that. At this point, it says, well, unless you do this and do that, unless you sell your things and give it to the poor, unless you turn the other cheek, like, there are, there are rules in the Bible. There, there are rules post-salvation. There are times I say, you need to do this, and you need to do that. And here in the Old Testament, as we're going to see, these rules are absolutely applicable to us. These things that are required of us are required of us. But they're, they're not required of us the way we've always thought about, like, well, I've got to check every single box so that I can go to heaven. Well, then how in the world are they required of us? John, I thought about just pointing this laser at you and being like, is it working? Why isn't it working? <laughs> if you weren't at the marriage seminar, that's not funny to you. And if you weren't at the marriage seminar, the closing prayer before potluck will not be awkward for you. <laughs> All right, the people, the people of Israel are looking um, to, to they, they, they've, they've had this on-again, off-again relationship with God, where they leave God, and when they leave God, they find that leaving God doesn't leave them with, the, with, with healthy things. Like, they, they, they leave God, and they find, they find starvation, they find dehydration, they find um, incarceration, they find all the Asians, just not the nation. And they are asking this question rhetorically. The people of Israel are asking Micah this. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? What shall I give God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Yearlings. Shall I? You notice that they're, they're, they're asking this rhetorically. What they believe, what the people of Israel believe, it's, there is nothing that they have brought to God that has been good enough. I've given you this God, I've given you that God. Notice, because they're about to venture off into hyperbole, and people are never serious when they venture into hyperbole. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? God, what do you need from me? Now, they are thinking about the relationship with God as a transactional relationship. And when we lie on our deathbeds and we're scared to death that we didn't do enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. In the same way that we're in line at Six Flags with our kids wondering if we got the tickets. Did I do all the things required of me to get in? This is what they're asking. Did I do all the things required of me to have this transaction go smoothly. Micah responds in verse 8, He has shown you, O mortal. Pause. If you're in an argument this week, just throw the word O mortal into it. Did you leave the copier on? Listen, O mortal. Unpause. 
Play. Unpause. Is that a button? Play. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly or do justice. It's probably a better translation of that. To love mercy, love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love mercy, and walk humbly with God. God says, you know what you need to do, and it has nothing to do with transactions. It has nothing to do with how many bulls, how many olive oil, how old the cow is. You know what is required of you. We've fallen into the same trap where we can get church right and Christianity wrong. When we love to have the boxes checked, but the life not lived. But he says, this is what's required of you. Now this is a very fun, this, 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 the Hebrew word here is, um, doesn't mean like this is the thing that you, this is like the box to check. This is not a to-do list he's giving here. It's actually something more. It, you, you can see it in, the, uh, in Deuteronomy 24, uh, not Deuteronomy 4, Deuteronomy 4, 29. He says, uh, from there, you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find him if you search after him with all your heart and soul. Now that word search there, same word. What does the Lord require of you? See, this isn't like, what, is, what does the Lord want? What bar, what's the bar you must jump over? This is, what is God looking for? What kind of person is God looking for? And so when we say something is required of you, what we mean is, and what God means, is that it's not requirement for salvation. Do you know what the requirement for salvation was? Jesus. Jesus brings me salvation. Jesus brings me forgiveness. Jesus brings me grace. When I enter into a relationship with Jesus, I am entering into secure salvation. Now, if you want to, in your life, choose to walk away from God, you can go for it. That's your choice. But when you align yourself with Jesus throughout your life, you are saved not because you are good at aligning, but because Jesus is good at saving. And so when you're right there next to Jesus, you're in. But what is required of me? Like, Is Jesus going to kick me out whenever I fail at walking humbly? Is Jesus going to kick me out whenever I fail at forgiving? We're going to have to shift our perspectives just a bit. Because what God is looking for are not people who can get into heaven, but people who get heaven and bring it to earth. What God is looking for are people who can reproduce kingdom in the world around them. What God is hoping for is not that you can get it right to be saved, but that the saved might get it right to save others. 
And so when he says what is required of you, he's not saying you've missed the you've missed the bar, you haven't jumped high enough, you haven't ran fast enough. What he's saying is you're not participating in the vocation I gave you. If you would have gone to anybody in Israel and said, "Will you see resurrection?" Basically, that was a way of asking them, "Are you go?" That, that was their going to heaven. That's probably a more accurate phrasing. But will you be in the kingdom of God when the kingdom of God comes? They would have all said yes. Even in slavery, they would have said yes. See, the problem wasn't that they didn't think they were the that they were saved. The problem was they didn't know where the relationship with God was. And the relationship with God was suffering because they weren't participating in what God was looking for. They weren't going into the world and finding people to love, to walk humbly with, to to seek justice for. They weren't doing what God was searching for. If, uh, if John had put together a conference where the people were like the best in the world at making bacon. Like literally, actual bacon. They, 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 they just perfect timing every time. And they could ask you how you liked it and they would deliver it how you liked it. And they said, they, they, they were world-renowned bacon cooks. And he brought them in he said, guys... These are the best bacon cooks in the world. Cost a lot to bring them in, but we're going to offer it to you for free because, you know, everybody down here loves bacon. Right, Kevin? Now, at that point, we would have said, okay, I appreciate this, but this wasn't what we were looking for when we brought you on. Right? It's not that John was a bad person or that he, that he wasn't the, the, the family life minister in that moment. It just wasn't what we were looking for. When, when, when God says or when Micah says that this is required of you, what he means is for you to be the people of God, not for you to be saved, but for you to be the people of God in the presence of the world. To act justly, do justice. You have to love kindness and mercy. And you have to walk humbly with God. So when we walk through these over the next few weeks and we get more specific about acting justly, loving kindness and mercy, walking humbly, I don't ever want you to leave here thinking, I don't do that well. I wonder if I'm saved. See, what's required of you to be saved, you can't do. And so God required it of Jesus. And Jesus did it for you. But now that we follow Jesus, God requires something of us. As to live in the world as a vocation, as a job that I am I am bringing heaven 
to earth, wherever I go, I am treating people like God has treated me. I'm having godly relationships. I'm having godly encounters. I am loving justice or doing justice. I am loving mercy and kindness. I am walking humbly with God. You don't do that so that you can be saved. You do that so you can help Jesus save others. And so this is not a salvation issue that we're getting wrapped up in. It's a mission issue. If we want to be better Christians in 2019, we're going to have to learn to do justice, love mercy and kindness, and walk humbly with God. We're going to learn to do those things. See, the weird thing is salvation's on or off, right? It's, salvation is not a spectrum. Either you're saved or you're not. Either you're with Jesus or you're not. And if you're not, we do want to get you with Jesus. But once you're with Jesus, the level of Christi Christian you are is a spectrum. You're going to grow. It's going to take some time. You're going to start in a place where you, you kind of want your way instead of doing justice. You kind of love animosity instead of loving kindness. And you walk proudly in the name of church instead of walking humbly with God. Sometimes there's some growth that needs to happen. But hopefully over the next few weeks, we're going to spend time helping you find some practical ways, some practical things you can do, and some serious uh, perspective changes to make so that you can be a better, you can be better at your job. Does any of you remember when you first started your job, the job you do most, you've done most of your life? When you first started, when I first started preaching, I was 24, I think, yeah. And I was okay. And I thought I was great. And I've learned over the years that I'm always going to be just somewhere on the spectrum of less or more okay. Because there's a couple of great preachers that I've heard. And I ain't it. But that's fine. That's fine. And if you were a teacher, maybe year, year one, you would have... If you could go back and tell yourself, I, I'd do that differently. But we're, what we're hoping to do as Christians is to get better and better at our job. The problem is we have thought for the longest time that our job is to get saved. But our job is not to enter the kingdom. Jesus' job was to get us in the kingdom. Our job is once we were to expand the kingdom, to go into the world, and to be to love, to, to love mercy, to do justice, to act, to walk humbly. Our job is, is to represent the kingdom of God, not get in it. 
And so our whole language needs to be shifted around. We need to start at, stop asking ourselves, am I in the kingdom of God? If, Jesus, if you love Jesus, if you're in relationship with Jesus, if you've been united with Jesus, yes. If you're not, let's unite you today. Let's join in death, burial, and resurrection in the waters of baptism. Let's be raised to walk in newness of life. Let's unite you with Jesus today, and you're in. But if you were just an okay teacher your first year, just like I was an okay preacher my first year, it doesn't make me any less of a preacher, and it doesn't make you any less of a teacher. It just means you're slowly getting better at your job. So over the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time trying to figure out how we can get better at our job. What is required of us? What is God looking for? I don't ever want you to leave here thinking, I'm not saved. Unless you aren't. If you haven't been united with Jesus, then do that today so that you can pick up and run with us next week as we look at what it means to, to do justice, to act justly as a follower of Christ. If you need anything this morning, please come forward while we stand and sing.